as usual, you have your three hosts. You have myself, Tim. Hello. You have Lachlan. Howdy. And Ruben. Hello. So, exciting times. Uh, we've chosen our next book to read. Up on camera, you'll see I'm holding up the book. And uh, it says, The Complete Works of Epictetus, Discourses, The Enchiridion, or however the hell we say that. I've actually heard different ways of saying that. And Fragments. Um, only problem is, it doesn't contain those things. <laughs> <laughs> so we all bought the book at the same time. It all got delivered at the same day. And the contents numbers don't align with the page numbers and the content within the book it's completely missing uh the enchiridion how are you guys saying that word by the way uh probably incorrectly but i was saying enchiridion but it probably is uh k because uh in greek it would be a k so uh you're probably right tim enchiridion yeah what are your thoughts Ruben? how do you say that uh, I like the CH sound, but I think uh, Lachlan's probably right. There you go. I think we're going to have to go with a K. <laughs> I, I might ask, uh, I know a few guys that have gone to Bible college who have read the old Greek. I might ask them what that actually, how that should be said. Oh, yeah, good call. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, so um, we all like a real physical book, uh, but to proceed uh, for this podcast... We're all working off a Kindle edition that costs $1 that we will link uh, in the description of this video and we will also put it on our Facebook page for those of you who aren't a member. Look for us on Facebook, you'll find us pretty easily. Um, there's a couple of hundred of us on there now and um, it's a cool little space so just put some ideas up. We should uh, point out that the funny thing we worked out with that um, copy of the book was something we didn't realise was... Um, something that happens in this modern age but um it was a uh, print to order so um it was printed by amazon locally in sydney apparently off another kindle edition and um we put the order in there uh it made the book for us but it was obviously um missing a few sections and <laughs> i think maybe the uh, pages when they got scaled it kind of wrecked up the um the the page formatting of the um the contents page so uh, interesting uh, think, trick, for, uh, trick for young players out there <laughs> i think it's actually a really cool idea i'm in favor of it but i just think maybe they need some quality control totally totally <laughs> yeah i agree it's a, it Although, a cool I, idea, I, don't, but... I don't know what it would cost them to get someone to go through a 500 page book uh before sending it out but i suppose yeah. they can at least check the page numbers well, maybe we can offer our services. <laughs> for, for whatever titles we choose to do for our uh, upcoming episodes, we exactly. will do quality control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of upcoming titles, so uh, it was my birthday in the week just gone and uh, mm. I, I got some, some books for myself. So besides the book that we got, that's the wrong book. Um, oh, actually, so firstly... I graduated from a course last year, a leadership course, and they sent me in the mail for completing the course a book called If I Could Tell You Just One Thing. And um, it's encounters with remarkable people and their most valuable advice. And yeah, it's got some people in there like the Dalai Lama and Richard Branson and David Attenborough 
Tony Blair, Stephen Fry, lots of different people just with little short thoughts. So that's on my list to read. That was a free book, so that's pretty cool. Um, but the exciting things, or more exciting things. So um, Ruben and his family got me these two books. So um, Notes from Underground by Dostoevsky and The Brothers Karamazov. Is that the right way of saying that? Karamazov? Oh, yeah. Don't go to me for pronunciation. That sounds good to me. <laughs> so that was awesome. I uh, I chose those two. I chose those two for Timmy because he's a big Jordan Peterson fan, and uh, I've heard Mr. Peterson reference those books quite frequently. So I thought I'd get him a copy. I appreciate nice it. One. Thank you. And then for myself, I uh, I went on a little bit of a spending splurge, and ended up getting myself uh, these six books. <laughs> um, they're they're the uh, classic edition from capstone i already had one for meditations um so i've got the art of war tao teaching uh the communist manifesto beyond good and evil the prince and letters from a stoic which i'm hoping that we can do some of that book on the podcast in the future Funny enough, that was that capstone series that I wound up um, buying a copy of the Republic for as well. So, uh, mm. um, so maybe I should uh, get the same for uh, uh, Letters from a Stoic and uh, Meditations, and uh, we'll have the same copies that way. Nice little matching <laughs> set. Yeah, they're a nice feeling it. book. They feel a bit leathery, but it's it's what A five in size, the page size. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And nice. if, if by some amazing cosmic fluke, uh, if Capstone Publishing has listened to this podcast, we're happy to take you on as a sponsor if you want to send <laughs> <laughs> Well, those of you watching would have just observed a few of us have a drink. So in our normal tradition, what are we drinking tonight? Mm. I'll begin. I am drinking one of my all-time favorites, which is the Suntory Whiskey Toki which is a reasonably nice. priced Japanese whiskey, which is kind of like saying a reasonably priced Ferrari, but it's still, <laughs> for Japanese whiskey, it's reasonably priced, and it's quite nice. Mm. Uh, what are you drinking there, Logan? Uh I'm back on the uh, the G&Ts. Um, I'm having the uh, Aiki, which is the uh, Japanese gin. Um, <laughs> it's actually the, the very uh, the last shot of it. So, mm. um, yeah. I'm enjoying that. It's a good bottle. Nice, nice. And how about uh, you, Ruben? What are you drinking? I've got an ale tonight. I got a Furphy. That's a solid choice. The Furphy. It's a good. You've been leaving him at his front door again, have you, Tim? No, this no, no, time no, I didn't get these. I bought this back. <laughs> um, I, I try not to bang on about the price, but I, I, I got them on special for fourteen dollars a six pack, and then when I used my uh, flybys card, I went down to twelve bucks. That was oh, what a bargain. $2 a nail. That is a good price. Mm. <laughs> That's cheaper than Coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, very true. good. All right. Well, um, just for those uh, of you watching and listening, but um, we, we're trying something different for this book. So some feedback I received and also just perceived um, from our last season is if you're not reading the book that we're discussing, uh, or you haven't read it before, then some of the things we talk about um, might be at times difficult to follow. So what we're doing this time is um, 
recording each part that we're discussing. The structure of this book actually lends itself really well to it because uh, mm. they're basically, you know, sometimes just two or three sentences long, other times maybe a page and a half. Um, kind of similar to if you open a Bible and you've got chapters um, without verses, it'd be like that. So uh, I'm going to um, insert the reading um, for each section in uh, post-edit. So then hopefully you as the listener slash viewer, it's easier to follow what we're talking about and to understand. And um, if you haven't had the time to read it and you're you know, driving in your car or mowing the lawns or doing whatever you do when you listen to us, um, then you at least you'll understand uh, what we're talking about, hopefully. And hopefully as I read it, I don't mispronounce too many things and don't make too many mistakes because uh, I'm certainly not a professional uh, voice recorder for Audible or anything like that. So <laughs> we'll see how, see how it goes. But um, yeah, anyway, so we'll, uh, we'll get started. So uh, Lachlan, I believe you have prepared uh, a brief introduction uh, for uh, Epictetus. Yeah, um, I, I just thought before I started reading, I just wanted to know uh, a little bit about the guy um, and then a little bit about the book. So I just made a few notes. <clears throat> um, it's all pretty simple, so I'll just jump on in on that. So um, cool. uh, so he was born in uh, AD 50 um, in what was modern-day uh, Turkey, and somehow he ended up being a... Uh, a slave in Rome as a young man. Um, he's noted as having a, a wealthy master um, who was secretary to Emperor Nero. And um, for some reason, even though he's a slave, he was allowed to study philosophy. Um, along the way, he became quite knowledgeable in it and that managed to sort of raise his status. I'm not sure if that led to, but eventually he did uh, wind up gaining his freedom. Um, and that happened at some time after the death of Nero. And um, around the age of 30, he started to teach philosophy in Rome. Uh, um, when um, he was around 43, so he'd been sort of practicing, I suppose, that for 13 years, he moved to Greece because there was a new uh, Roman emperor, um, or maybe he'd been on the, in the seat for a little bit of time, um, Domitian, and he banned philosophers from the city. Um, I didn't know too much about that emperor, um, so I went on a, my usual sort of uh, digression there. Um, he's an interesting cat, uh, autocrat, possibly a tyrant, um, who sought to control um, public and private morals and um, was trying to reduce the power of the Senate. So, uh, I am the Senate, in the, uh, in the words of Star Wars. <laughs> so, um, anyway... He'd be uh, interesting to dig a bit further in, but I had to come back to the story. Anyway, um, so he continued to practice uh, philosophy when he got into uh, got to Greece and he started a school to teach it. And um, this, this is where he gained his most famous pupil, um, a guy by the name of Arian. And uh, it's Arian who is credited with writing um, the discourses of Epictetus, um, which are ba basically the written down lectures of Epictetus. Um, and that was in circa uh, 108 AD. Um, so, uh, basically it's noted that I wrote down some little, um, quote that someone had made a note, uh, whatever I heard him say, I used to write down word for word as best I could endeavoring to preserve it as a memorial for my own future use of his way of thinking and the frankness of his speech. So that was the words of Arian. Um, so, uh, 
the, the modern version of um, discourses is actually incomplete. And so funnily enough, the book that we got, it's got four books in it. And uh, that's the, the four surviving books of, uh, of discourses. And I think there may have been sort of eight or something like that. Uh, in any case, Epictetus died at a ripe old age of 85 in AD 135. It was a pretty solid age for, for that time. Uh, I don't know how many people used to live to 85, but it seems like he had a good innings. Um, and I should add that like uh, Socrates, um, he lived a really simple life with minimal possessions and sort of avoided the trappings of wealth, even though he sort of became somewhat sort of famous, I guess. Um, yes, yeah, so that's really about him. Uh, so uh, I guess what, whilst it might sort of sound a bit funny that uh, this Arian is the guy who's actually written down, you know, this guy's writings, um, it's actually kind of similar to Plato, you know, writing down, you know, the discussions of Socrates. So um, um, I suppose like Stoics were regarded as kind of doers, so they didn't necessarily stop to write everything down. So um, that's just how that went. Um, so the book we're actually doing, though, is the Enchiridion. Um so this book was also compiled by the student Arian, and um, this is what he considers to be the most necessary or useful information, I suppose, um, to be able to live their lives. So around half the material in the book comes from the four books of discourses, and uh, the other half's assumed to come from the lost books of discourses, but obviously we don't know. Um, so uh, this guidebook, it's a, it's a way or a guide to, to how to live your life. Um, it might be considered in a, in a modern age, a little bit um, extreme in the way that you're separating in enjoyment or emotion and things from, from stuff, but I guess we'll find it as we sort of read through the book. Um, but it's considered to be mandatory reading for, um, you know, the understanding of stoicism. And um, I think uh, we're here for the journey. Uh, I should just say, I'll pretty much wrap it up there, but uh, the meaning of Enchiridion, uh, it's an adjective to describe, uh, to describe the book. So it literally means that it's um, in the hand or ready to hand. So effectively, handbook. So this is Epictetus' handbook for life, and that's why it's called that. Um, it's also used as a uh, description of a dagger that's kept close to hand. And uh, I know this book was a, uh, a popular uh, one of Marcus Aurelius's, so uh, maybe he appreciated the, uh, the double meaning to uh, Enchiridion as well. So uh, yeah, that's probably enough pre uh, preface to sort of get going with, but um, that's, the, that's the bit of digging I did. <laughs> that's awesome, mate. Really solid introduction. It's all good. Um, yeah, thanks for that, man. That was really good. I, I did a little bit, no, nowhere near as much as me. My only takeaway was that apparently he had a bum leg for his whole life. He did. Um, and there's a bit of, uh, I suppose, conflicting stories about whether he was born with it or his master broke his leg. Um, so uh, there seems to be <laughs> yeah, two different Yeah, there's a sort accounts. of story about that. Yeah. For sure. All right then. Well, uh, let's fire up our Kindle edition, <laughs> so we have it at hand, so to speak, and uh, let's get underway. So, part one. Part one. Of all existing things, some are in our power, and others are not in our power. In our power, a thought, impulse, will to get and will to avoid, and, in a word, everything which is our own doing. 
things not in our power include the body, property, reputation, office, and in a word, everything which is not our own doing. Things in our power are by nature free, unhindered, untrammeled. Things not in our power are weak, servile, subject to hindrance, dependent on others. Remember then that if you imagine that what is naturally slavish is free and what is naturally another's is your own, you will be hampered, you will mourn, you will be put to confusion, you will blame gods and men. But if you think that your only yours belongs to you and that what is another is indeed another's, no one will ever put compulsion or hindrance on you. You will blame none, you will accuse none, you will do nothing against your will, no one will harm you, you will have no enemy, for no harm can touch you. Aiming then at these high matters, you must remember that to attain them requires more than ordinary effort. You will have to give up some things entirely, to put off others for the moment. And if you would have these also, office and wealth, it may be that you will fail to get them, just because your desire is set on the former, and you will certainly fail to attain those things which alone bring freedom and happiness. Make it your study then to confront every harsh impression with the words, you are but an impression and not at all what you seem to be. Then test it by those rules that you possess and first by this, the chief test of all. Is it concerned with what is in our power or with what is not in our power? And if it is concerned with what is not in our power, be ready with the answer that it is nothing to you. Oops, hang on. So for those of you listening, my Kindle is a Gen 1 iPad mini. <laughs> That's what I use <laughs> as my Kindle. So it runs a little bit <laughs> slow. Um, it's not made out of stone, but it's close. <laughs> it's the stone tablet edition. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so we won't... Uh, read it obviously i'll do that post edit um so what what were your guys when you first started reading this was it what you expected after reading republic and having that sort of uh story mode for lack of a better term going into sort of these short sharp statements you know what, what did you think um uh, i was i suppose only uh, expecting it from having done the um the research side of things before I started reading. Um, and so the fact that they'd called it like a, a handbook for, I suppose, you know, uh, lessons or way to sort of live a stoic life or what have you, um, it didn't sort of surprise me too much. But I must admit, the, the first time I opened up the pages and saw, you know, uh, a fairly sparsely populated page with a, a paragraph on uh, uh, on every second page or something like that, it... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's different in the sense that it doesn't have the story there. Um, but I suppose if you do want the story, um, probably getting into discourses will give you the, 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 the broader story around something. And this is just going to give you the, the, the key learning from it, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. Is, is that your thoughts as well, Ruben? Is that sort of ring true for you? Um, no, similarly, yeah, it's very... It's that's a lot more distilled. I did find myself asking the question whenever he made, whenever it makes an assertion, um, what's that based on? 
because mm. when you that's the whole thing about the republic they get to their conclusions in a really roundabout way but you get you see all the steps as to how they come to that conclusion so you don't get that in this um mm. i would assume as lachlan pointed out you would that would be more uh, if you wanted that you'd have to go to the discourses mm. so i did find myself questioning quite often when he made an assertion you know oh that's i like that i understand that but i wonder you know i wonder what that's based on Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I, I've heard it described that Stoicism is philosophy with like done practically. It's like oh, I don't know how another another way to say that. It's not coming to my tongue, but it's kind of like a I don't know tradies philosophy. Like it's a, a philosophy that you put into action, and the way it's taught is very much in such a way that you can use it immediately. Yeah, I um, I tried to read it, and intentionally so, and I don't know whether this is a good way or a bad way, but it's what I decided to do. I intentionally tried to read it through a um, through a platonic lens, like through having just read the Republic. I tried to kind of apply what I read in the Republic to this um, to try and fill in the gaps. Um, I don't know whether that works or not, but it'd be interesting as as we go through it to to point those bits out. I think that's for sure the way that it's intended to be written. Um, and just from that little bit of digging that I did, um, this guy is definitely a fan of, of Plato and Socrates. And uh, in fact, he references them at different points in time as well. So uh, I think that's a really solid way to do it. And to be honest, I was doing very much the same the same sort of thing. Because I have to say, like when you do read these, like you were saying, Rubes, I think like you don't necessarily get all of the context around things and um i guess i'm trying to sort of um backfill some of the gaps a little bit with the you know knowledge from the republic and that kind of era and that kind of thinking um just knowing that the um um the author was sort of thinking that way as well if you know what i mean well how how much time elapsed between um uh, plato and this bloke be about 550 years wouldn't it maybe almost 600 years yeah because it, it, it was something like uh yeah 500 years bef before christ right was yeah. um so if he was born about 50 ad it'd be yeah between 550 and 600 hmm. yeah right so it's interesting you guys read it that way i didn't even think of reading it that way <laughs> i um i kind of just look at it as like are these sayings things that are helpful for me personally and mm. do they oh, apply? Okay. um kind of like uh i don't know um you know like sometimes you watch those youtube motivational videos have you watched any of them yeah, like yeah sayings and things and um mm. yeah so i look at it like that and yeah so I, like obviously if they make mention of looking at a boy or slaves or that sort of stuff i straight away go oh that's in reference to context of xyz etc etc it's not a thing yeah. at the moment but um yeah i still look i still think okay does that make sense for me to apply that so mm. yeah it's good good that we've got different sort of glasses on as we look at this that's for sure okay so um this first one is uh talking about what's in our power and what's not in our power mm. Uh, 
it, it's talking about um, so let's let's talk about things that are not in our power so it says things that are not in our power are things like the body property reputation office and everything which isn't our own doing yeah um, I read that and I think that's pretty good to a good description of what's not in our power um, yeah I guess um, I, I read this as sort of and I, I suppose this one too is a it's a bit of a longer um, passage than on some of the pages that follow if you know what I mean and so I almost sort of saw it like them trying to sort of set the tone in a way for for, for what you're about to read in this manual so it's yeah, like so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a bit of a flavour for, for what you're about to encounter sort of as you're going further through here and um, just trying to set the mindset around, you know, yeah, think about what you can control, what you can't control and um, trying to separate those issues in your mind to, to prioritise the stuff you can influence, I suppose. Um, yeah, you're right. And I think knowing that he was a slave for such a long time you know it's interesting he's starting straight away with those things that he would have had no control over um, when he was a slave no good point so yeah it's um interesting i think um you know when he sort of talks about the stuff that's outside of your control as well you know it's uh i guess I was just trying to understand, like, obviously you can't influence them, but I think he's trying to point out, you know, it's going to just sort of like lead to, you know, frustration or something like that. And then maybe, uh, you know, frustration is going to lead to anger. Anger leads to hate. <laughs> hate leads to the dark side, right? So uh, um, I, I suppose uh, with a lot of this stuff that I've been reading, um, I've been applying that sort of thought, that platonic thought of virtue um as an undercurrent in a lot of this stuff too um, yeah and i think it's yeah just, well he sort know, of hear it well yeah, i was gonna say yeah after he sort of lists right at the start he lists those things that are not free things that are not under your control mm. he just he pretty much comes out with it he just says oh if you imagine that things that what is naturally slavish is free so what is, if you imagine what is free is, is uh, if you imagine something that is not free is free or if you, and, and what is naturally another's is your own, um, that you're going to be hampered, you're going to be upset, you're going to be confused. So I, I, that's kind of the crux. Like he, I, 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 that's, I guess that's what you get when you get a distilled thing. But I, I mm -hmm. did appreciate that he comes out and basically says, this is, this is, this is the crux of the matter that if you don't understand what you what is yours and what is not yours and what you can control and what you can't control you, you, you're going to have some problems amen yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting that the yours and not yours stuff as well um and you know ownership sort of yeah talking, yeah talking about ownership and <clears throat> and i suppose like jealousy um and lust or whatever else it may well sort of be um, and they're obviously just, you know, bad influences on your life, right? If you're just going to 
be sort of focused on what everyone else has and what you what you want but you can't obtain I mean it's just going to give you bad juju so uh um... well that's what struck <laughs> me too that's what struck me too is that um he talks about it in terms of ownership mm. um which uh, I don't know whether I've sort of seen it discussed that way before um but when he's talking about things that you can and can't control about the way you mm. think you think and the way that other people think and what other people do, he, he yeah, he demarks them as and describes it as having ownership or not having ownership. So that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that does if that kind of thinking does come from being a slave. Because as a slave as a slave he was owned. In those days it was considered to be owned, which is a bit mm. foreign to us these days. Yeah, true. Um but look, it's interesting too, just with understanding his life as well, that he maintained a modest life, even when he became a free man and, you know, did have access, I suppose, to to, to wealth and possessions and things like that. And uh, he'd actually sort of chosen a, like a Socratic sort of style of simple life. Straight out of Plato, isn't it? That, that was, that was, yeah, that was, totally. That was, yeah. The Socratic life. Yeah, and uh, I, I won't really wonder if that was a strict choice. You can sort of tell he's a bit of a fan of of, of Plato and Socrates, and uh, I think that was a very conscious decision not to burden himself with um, the pursuit of things and to instead focus on what's what's important. So, um, but it's so true. I think he's uh, yeah, you're right. But but it's true outside of slavery too. Um, so oh, sure. like when I read this stuff, I think about. You know, debt trap uh, or people you know being really really stressed about work because you know at work if I don't keep the boss happy I'll lose my job which then means I can't pay for my sick car or my house or whatever so those those possessions sort of make you a slave to that person that has the power to give or take away from you you know so mm. Mm. yeah the other thing I like about this is it introduces the idea of the impression um, which yeah. I've looked into before when I've read about Stoicism um, it, it's a very like psychology sort of feel that um, the event happens and it's not the event that harms us but it's our impression of it uh, it's sort of mm. dipping the toe into that idea um, and he gives, straight away gives a solution to it as well, or his solution. Um, so, you know, have you guys come across that idea of an impression before? Not that explicitly, but um, just from life experience, I know because I've seen it, that um, two people can experience the same event and be affected very, very differently. Um, so that, hmm. so that's what I thought of when he started talking about impressions. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense because you can have two people go through or share an experience and, and have it be really detrimental to one and then hardly seem to affect another. I must admit, um, when I heard the word impression and I, I started reading some of this thing, the, the first thing that popped to mind again was the, um, the shadows on the wall of the cave in the, uh, the cave analogy. And that the impressions are like the shadows on the wall um, where they're sort of interpreting them um, as they sort of see them come past. 
Um, Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, right. I didn't go there at all. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Do you yeah, think it's uh, he talked about, you know, not having a, a... I suppose like there's a little bit of a different angle that he took on this particular uh, passage, though. He's talking about, you know, the impression, like, of someone, though, right? So it's kind of like maybe... Um, jumping to like a maybe an irrational conclusion about someone based on their behavior or something. I, I don't know if I was quite reading that that bit right. Um, it's almost sort of like w- warning you not to jump into like an, an emotional conclusion and get all worked up about something. Take a moment well, to... I'll, I'll read that a little bit. He's saying, um, yep. uh, make it your study then to confront every harsh impression with the words, yep. you are but an impression and not at all what you seem to be then test it by Mm. those rules that you possess. What those rules are, I don't know. And first by this, the chief test of all, uh, is it concerned with what is in our power or with what is not in our power? And if it is concerned with what is not in our power, be ready with the answer that it is nothing to you. Mm. So, yeah, I'm interested to find out what those uh, tools are, (laughs) the rules that we possess. Yeah. Well, um, I like... I really, I, I just like the way that he basically described having an argument with yourself almost like be ready to say you are, you are but an impression and not at all what you seem to be. Like to me, that's just almost sounded um, almost like a play, like a, you know, like a do what's that? Who's that famous playwright? <laughs> Macbeth and all that. Shakespeare is almost very Shakespearean, you know, this, the, the, the whole Shakespearean monologue where the dude's like, almost talking to his own own feelings or impression or something so i, I quite mm. like that bit yes i actually said the same thing to my wife today when i was talking about this that it felt shakespearean at times it's funny that you picked that up yeah right oh. yeah uh, i think it's also due to the the time this particular copy was translated as well <clears throat> oh okay um so i think different translations uh will have some different use of language and all that sort of thing so oh yeah sure yeah. This was the flowery version that Ruben prefers. So, all right. Well, let's. No, no. It, it, yeah, no. It reminded me of it. it reminded because I watched Macbeth recently and read it and listened to it a few times. And that's well, got a bunch of monologues in it where they're kind of going through, uh, you know, what life means and stuff like that. And it just reminded me of that for some reason. Not so much. And language is an issue, but not even just the language, it's just the idea of uh, almost arguing with yourself or trying to convince yourself or something. Hmm. Okay, well, um, are we happy with that for point one or part one? Sounds good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that the ideas will flow in other parts, and so if we <laughs> not adequately explain something we'll have other opportunities to do so um, oh so hold on i did just oh, yep, thought, did you mention um then test it by those rules that you possess um but you're saying you're not sure what those rules are but is the first rule basically and first by this the chief test is is it concerned with what is in our power or what is not in our power so he's like saying that's your first rule your first rule is yeah. to ask that question yeah, that's what yeah, so we've got one rule. Yeah, so I think I think we've got like if you're looking at this as like a flowchart, which is not a spreadsheet by the way, but like a flowchart <laughs> that has got like, is this in your control? No, 
straight to final answer. But mm. then if there's a yes, I right. think there's a sequence of other questions that you need to ask about the event, which haven't right. yet been disclosed. Okay, uh, let's go on to part two. Part two. Remember that the will to get promises, attainment of what you will, and the will to avoid promises, escape from what you avoid. And he who fails to get what he wills is unfortunate. And he who does not escape what he wills to avoid is miserable. If then you try to avoid only what is unnatural in the region within your control, you will escape from all that you avoid. But if you try to avoid disease or death or poverty, you will be miserable. Therefore, let your will to avoid have no concern with what is not in man's power. Direct it only to things in man's power that are contrary to nature. But for the moment, you must utterly remove the will to get. For if you will to get something not in man's power, you are bound to be unfortunate. While none of the things in man's power that you could honourably will to get is yet within your reach. Impulse to act and not to act. These are your concern. Yet exercise them gently and without strain and provisionally. And, um, all right, so part two. Um, so this is talking about the will. So to get promises, to avoid promises. Sorry, mate, I don't mean to interrupt, but did you make a timestamp of when you went into part two for editing purposes? Um, I didn't, but thank you. I will do that. <laughs> You're going to need it. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I found this really interesting. Uh, I guess, like particularly as he's talking about the uh, the will to avoid, because um, it seemed like a <clears throat> a really interesting concept that seemed different to maybe some of the stuff that we'd been looking at with the with Plato and whatnot. Because um, it's almost like avoiding feels like running away from or something, and uh, I don't know, it doesn't feel sort of chivalrous or... Um... Courageous. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it just sounded funny that that seemed to be like one of the core sort of parts here is, you know, if there's stuff you want to avoid, whether it's, you know, things, people, circumstances, stuff that you don't want to experience or have, um, you know, like, that's okay. <laughs> and... Uh, um, that just sort of felt a little jarring to me, I must say. Um, so is he saying like, um, if you've got a drama queen nearby, you don't have to play that game? Like just disengage? Uh, look, it's probably in capturing things like that as well. And, you know, there's those, you know, things people always sort of say, you know, if you have people around you who don't, you know, don't support you and don't, don't value you, you know, if they're just putting you down, like why, why be around those kind of people? And so it may well be things like that, you know, and that's what you maybe have the will to avoid is people that aren't um, aren't bringing anything to you. Um, yeah, it's just saying if you've, you know, failed to avoid them, um, then you, you know, when you're trying to avoid them, you're going to be, uh, be miserable. So, um, you know, try and focus on the stuff that you can actively avoid, I guess, and not stuff that's out of your control, which 
again, it's following that similar kind of theme. Um, so, you know, I, I suppose like an example of something sounds more trivial, but you want to avoid being overweight, right? So you could actively control your diet and, and exercise to control that if you wish, right? Um, but if you want to avoid something that's out of your control, you might just be miserable thinking about it. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Um, so he uses in the text an example like, if you know, I want to avoid death, but no one can avoid death. So why worry about it? Right? Uh, yeah, if you let that bother you, it, it's always going to bother you because you can't avoid it. Yeah. Um, so I know that's just how I was kind of thinking about it. But um... a really simple way to uh, say that would basically be um, don't live in fear of things that you can't control. Hmm. Because yeah. by definition, by, by definition, you can't control it. So you, you'd be forced to live in fear. Yeah. That's that's correct. Um, uh, it also mentions nature. And I, I think that's a common theme throughout here too. So mm. he's saying, um, where is it here? Uh if you if then you try to avoid only what is unnatural in the region within your control you will escape from all that you avoid so i mean is there things that are natural in the region within your control that you can't escape is that what he's saying well he's citing you know uh disease death or poverty yeah um, you know, is, could that, could that hark back to, um, what we read at the end of the Republic where everything has something unique to itself that destroys it? Um, yeah. and that, that, and that, that thing which destroys something is unique to its nature. Is that perhaps an angle? I don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I read that part a few times and I was a little bit confused by it. Um, mm. Like, I understand the, uh, if you try to avoid, you know, death and taxes, then, um, yeah, you're, you're not going to do well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, it feels like he's just saying if it's something you can control, that's if it's within your power and it's unnatural, then sort it out. Yeah. I, I suppose maybe saying like man-made rather than, yeah, like a, a naturally occurring symptom of life. Right. Actually, I think I get it. So, because he, later he keeps talking about being in harmony with nature. So maybe what he's saying is if there's something that you can influence, but it's current state is in alignment with nature then you probably shouldn't screw around with that thing because you, you want to be in harmony with nature so it's only things that aren't in harmony with nature that are within your control that you should focus on that might be what he's saying i think so i remember later on in one of the other points there's a discussion on the nature of the thing i've got some notes on that so i might leave off on it until we get up to it maybe maybe mm -hmm retrospectively it could make some sense of it that's the most that's made sense to me so far <laughs> nice. <That part. laughs> i think uh, um 
he sort of moves on from from there then like focusing on the will to get rather than the will to avoid um again i think that's that's that sort of lesson on on jealousy um if you will to get things that are out of reach honorably instead of saying is that you know you're going to be unhappy uh, bound to be unfortunate i think there's the words that he sort of put in there um and he's just really just saying he's suggesting really to like remove the will to get altogether really and just focus your efforts on on acting and, and having purpose i suppose um so i think what he's saying is like just just do what's right focus on what you can control and you'll sort of like naturally get what you deserve i suppose no more or no less but you should be happy with what you get i, I think is what he's kind of saying like if you're trying to reach for something oh, that you're never going to get right. you can be unhappy um because yeah. yeah if you're trying to get something and you don't get it you're unfortunate you know it's kind of like mm. sucks but you know you didn't make it but yeah. if you try to escape um what he wills to avoid you're going to be miserable so if you try to escape what you what you haven't got control of, you're going to be miserable either way but if you fail to get what you want to get you know it's unfortunate but you're just not going to make him miserable so a, a, a ridiculous example would be um you know i want to fly to another solar system and and see another planet so he's saying like if you pursue that you're not going to succeed because it's out of reach so don't pursue but something if, unrealistic. Uh, if if you if you have anxiety about a but if you want to get to that other planet because you think Earth is going to get hit by a comet and uh, you can't avoid that and you let that eat you up, you're going to be miserable because you think that there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Is that what you mean? Uh, I think Tim was on the other side on the on the will bit. but Yeah, so I was looking at the will. Yeah, yeah. Like you're, you're working towards a goal that is never going to be achievable. Therefore, you'll be disappointed. Well, well I, I think this is actually something that's like quite common in the, the modern age, um, like particularly just with like people really hung up on consumerism and social media. You've got a lot of people on there who like to sort of show off their wealth, their holidays, their new Ferrari, et cetera, et cetera. And they're feeding this appetite for acquisition of things that are out of reach of most people. And I know there's a lot of people who are miserable looking on social media, looking at other people's, we'll call them lives in inverted commas. Um, and, um, that's this kind of thing, I think, like this wanting this life that maybe you're not going to be able to have. It's fake anyway, but, you know, um, that, that's what's presented in front of you. Um, you know, why do you do it to yourself? Why do you do it to your family? Um, and I think he's trying to challenge you on, you know, what's really important, you know, just focus on those things that you should be doing and, you know, you'll get what maybe you should be entitled to or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not what you're thinking of yeah, but right. what's good for you um, <laughs> yeah i mean is that uh financial um you know speaker or author i suppose i quite like the, the barefoot investor you guys probably heard of him but um he always talks about people burdening themselves in debt you know to get the bigger house the fancier cars with a view to happiness and calls them the plastic rich so not really wealthy right. but just giving the impression of wealth being massively burdened in debt thirst for consumer goods so uh i think he's just yeah, saying right. there's something to be said for uh being restrained and simple and 
not getting hung up on chasing down ridiculous kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. A bit more uh, Socrates, you know, barefoot and waiting at the buffet. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still happy and healthy in his mind and, you know, with his purpose and uh, all that sort of thing. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's jump to uh, part three. Part three. When anything from the meanest thing upwards is attractive or serviceable or an object of affection, remember always to say to yourself, what is its nature? If you are fond of a jug, say you are fond of a jug. Then you will not be disturbed if it be broken. If you kiss your child or your wife, say to yourself that you are kissing a human being, for then if death strikes it, you will not be disturbed. Uh, so part three, uh, I found this part a little bit, come on man, you know, um, yeah. I, I was on board with the jugs and then when we got to <laughs> the, the yeah. um, you know, most men are, um, but once you get to tail of this paragraph i was like mm. um that's a bridge too far for me i think yeah oh, I, totally i found this bit really i found this bit really interesting and i don't think i would have understood it at all if we hadn't read the republic first okay mm. so let's let's focus on the jugs first so um, but i think I, I agree with you the bridge too far bit we'll, we'll cross that we'll cross that bridge when I get to. <laughs> okay um hang on let me let me find a example that's sitting here on my collectibles. Um, Alright, let's say it's this uh, Destiny 2 handgun replica that I have. So, um, while we while we have this thing, this is an object of affection. <laughs> and uh, well, I must ask myself, what is its nature? So, if I am fond of a replica handgun, uh, then I am to say I am fond of a replica handgun as opposed to I am fond of this particular replica handgun is that that's my reading of it so then if I drop this particular replica handgun I will not be upset because I'm not fond of this particular replica handgun but I am fond of just replica handguns in general and there's other ones should we get Charlie to come in and break it and test that theory so, you know, out, out comes this replica of the, the Duke handgun instead because, you know, why not? I, I have another one. And if I break that one too, I can always order one off the interwebs. That, that's my take of what he's saying. Is, are you, do you guys agree? I, I think he was saying that, yeah, look, if it's something that's not of high consequence, it's just a material object, right? So... You know, yes, you might like it, but it's not going to kill you. So suck it up and get over it. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's saying. I, I think he's no. I think he starts with something of low consequence to get people to agree with the idea. I agree with and that. And then he goes, "All right, now apply this principle to your child or your wife." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" Because they're just jugs. <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, you won't be disturbed 
um, you know, if you kiss your child or your wife, say to yourself that you are kissing a human being. Well, then, if death strikes it, will uh, if if death strikes it, you will not be disturbed. You will not be mm. disturbed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. My child and wife has died. I am not disturbed because I can go and kiss someone else. <laughs> it's weird. I, I didn't take it as that. I I, I kind of took that more about that whole like natural order thing. Um, that you know, death's a part of life, and uh, again, like it's not something that can be avoided it's a natural consequence so why like why are you getting upset about it? i don't necessarily agree with this by the way i'm just saying like that's how <laughs> I sort of about it. um i've never seen this work i've never seen someone no. have someone that close die and just go yeah there's someone else i can kiss like yeah. and yeah. perhaps someone truly who we would consider to be truly corrupted or evil might behave this way I mean, this is often the thing portrayed in movies as like the ultimate villain, mm. someone who doesn't care about that person's closeness fate. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd you'd have to be a robot if you were not a villain or a sociopath, right? Um, I don't know that. I don't know that you'd want to compartmentalize to such a level that you could park that. I mean. It might be handy to be able to park that when you need to be a functioning person and okay maybe going like the full other end of the scale where you're a whimpering mess wailing and not able to to do anything so that's end of the scale is no good maybe in my opinion this end of the scale that he's describing is probably no good somewhere in the middle <laughs> is a workable functioning human I don't know. Yeah, the the only thing I can think of is by disturbed he means broken. Because um, I recall reading something from Seneca uh, where he was addressing this issue about grief and his point was that a Stoic can feel loss and grief but that it should be not in excess. So not in such a way that you flail around for months on end and become completely useless to everything and everyone because you're so broken that it's conquered you I, I wonder yeah. if that's sort of what he's saying but on well, first read man, certainly this, this passage I was like too. what is this hmm. Hmm. But, I mean they, they certainly tackled that uh, aspect of grief in the Republic though as well if you remember um, and they were saying how um I think they were talking about like the um, the epic stories and how somebody lost their wife in the story and they're flailing around screaming, you know, why, why to the gods and, you know, carrying on crying. And, you know, I think that, that they described it as womanish or something. I remember we were kind of like <laughs> yeah. laughing at the descriptor or something like that. And so, look, I, I think it's certainly, um, it's a concept they've been sort of talking about there as far as it's just a, impractical way of, of being and I think um, you know death was a more common occurrence back then than what we're accustomed to now so um, I'm not saying like life was cheaper but I think it was more fragile there and more susceptible to being you know sand through the fingers so to speak but anyway Rubes has well, been I sitting there think... quietly he had some, he had some thoughts I'm keen, I'm keen to hear him he's, he's yeah, letting us ramble too. and dig deeper before he's going to come into the <laughs> No, it's probably not. 
No, but just off the back of what you just said then I, about life probably being a little bit cheaper back then, I think there was also that sense of ownership too. Like you could own a human life, you could own a slave. Mm. So I think that's mm. probably why he's a little bit more comfortable in um, using an analogy of a jug and then sliding, yeah. like, you know, a, a, a possession and then sliding from that to a wife and child. Um, so, um, but I, I think that might be uh, why he's so comfortable in doing that. But um, so what I, this is my read on this section, right? So he, he starts to saying, if you have an affection for something, ask what is its nature? Now, I think when he's saying what is its nature, I think that's a really Socratic or Platonic way to look at it. Because if you remember back to the cave, Socrates is like, um, you know, go outside the cave and see what the actual truth of a thing is. So when I think he says about the nature of a thing, I think that's basically what he's asking you to do. To look at something and go, well, what is it that I really, what is it that is the truth of this thing? Um, what is the nature of this thing that I'm attracted to? Um, the idea being that um, that's the higher order good and that and that's the ultimate thing. Um, and then I think, but I think where the disconnect is for me is, um, so I guess what he's saying is like, uh, you know, what is it about, he talks about a jug. So uh, let's, let's put the jug aside and talk about, say, the child. So I think what he's asking the reader to do is to say, well, what is it that you love about a child? And I think he wants you to go super abstract and go outside the cave and go, well, what is love and, and what is life and, um, you know, and that sort of stuff and thereby kind of disconnect you from the particular. I think Tim was right in the idea of, you know, the whole, this is all about the um, particular thing and then mm. the, um, the form of that thing or the, the universal of that thing. Because if mm. you're attached to the universal, then that's, that's a higher order attachment or a higher order truth. Um, whether you accept all that, I don't know whether you accept that or not, or, or whether that's necessarily a good idea in practicality, but where I think the disconnect for people like us these days, or where I actually think that the, the logical disconnect is, um, is in the value of a thing. So, yeah, sure, you can abstract something and you can get to the truth of what it is you really like about a thing, but the value of a thing, I think, is attached to the the particularity of it. So you think about a rare car, you know what I mean? Uh, mm. there, there's a, you know, there, there's a hundred Corollas out there, but there's only one Ferrari GTO. So is it because it's a Ferrari that it, it's more valuable or is it because there's only a couple of them? Mm. And then you can sort of, then, and then if you take that to the, if you take that a step further to a human relationship, um, a relationship that you have with another individual, like a child or a wife or a friend or whatever, is the ultimate particular because it's a relationship between you and someone else. So nobody else has that same exact same re relationship. So that becomes even more precious. So I think that's where it disconnects. I think that's where, you know, how Tim, you were saying, I can't, that's a bridge too far. I can't go there. Yeah. I actually think that's why you can't because yeah, sure, you, you can abstract that all you want. But when somebody that you know and love dies, 
that that's a particular relationship that's unique to you that nobody else can share in. And I think that's why it becomes so valuable for someone. Um, so that, that was my thought process on that bit. Um, you know, and look, I tend to agree, broadly speaking, how we were talking about, you know, you got to let things go and like, you can't be too mm. upset about things and, you know, death is a part of existence and all that sort of gear. But I, 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 I think that's where I disagree with this particular section. I don't know, what do you guys reckon? Uh, look, I, I think that's a really interesting way that you put it because I, I, I wasn't getting there. So I, uh, I like your description. I don't know if that if that's what his intention is. I'd be really curious, actually, to to uh, try and track down the um, the passage in the um, um, in the discourses and um, see. Well, what I the... think actually, well, that was like I said, that was my read on it. When he says, "What is the nature of a thing?" I I, I thought yeah. he meant, "What is the form of it?" Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. straight away, I was like, "Oh, he's talking about the particular versus the universal." Yep. And then that, then going to that whole platonic idea of, well, the universal is the absolute truth, whereas your particulars are somehow less valuable. Yeah. Your particulars are back in the cave, so to speak. I think, mm, no, I no, think, for sure. I think you're right. But when I thought about the nature of a child or a woman or a man, um, we're not immortal. So it's natural for us to die. So. I thought that's sort of what he was indicating in in regards to its nature. Like its nature is to not live forever. Yeah. So that came to mind for me. Um, and that's, that's out of your control. Yeah. Therefore, don't worry that's about it. That's the same way I looked at it, Tim, yeah. But I, I, I like what Ruben said, <clears> and it makes sense too, so I'm not sure. Maybe both are true, maybe one, maybe neither. Don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be curious to see <clears throat> what he would have thought about like, the example Rubes is giving around, you know, that specific relationship and whether that is something that he's arguing you still should be able to, to park or he's saying, no, that's deep enough that, you know, that's going to be harder to deal with or something. I don't know. Well, um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm right, then his path, path towards that would be like, I have a relationship with this particular person. Hmm. Um, you know, what is it I like about having a relationship? And he goes, he would then go from there. Well, what is a relationship? And then yeah. he'd be like, oh, you know, and he would keep abstracting till he got to this pure idea of of what it is about a relationship. He'd be like, so if you use cars, it'd be like, well, what do you like? You like cars, right? What do you like about cars? Is it the engineering? Is it the aesthetic? Is it the uh, is it the freedom that is attached to having a car and driving it? Yeah. Um, and then he would he would abstract to those things. You go all the way up to the top, and he'd be like, um, "Well, if it's if it, if it is if it is the thing that you like about cars is let's say the aesthetic. Well, you can find the aesthetic in other things." Yeah. So you're saying yeah. the so, so you're, technique to actually but, overcome the issue is is yeah, to make the or, thing that is personal so abstract that it becomes less personal. Is so maybe, maybe, and maybe that's wrong. I think. Well, yeah. it, I think in in a sort of a moderate approach. Think about you guys. Say you guys love cars. You might have three cars, and then you might enjoy a car for a while, and then you sell it. And you buy another one. I know you do that, Lachlan. That's that's like your jam. Yeah. Um, so uh, would he look at that and he'd be like, "Oh, that's because you've abstracted your love of cars to something higher, 
which means you're not as attached to that particular. So you're happy to enjoy that particular for a while. And then if you crash it or you sell it, you can move on to another one because it's not that particular car you're in love with. You're in love with cars or the idea of cars or the engineering or the aesthetic of cars. Yeah, that mm. makes sense. I just, I don't think that it doesn't feel right applying that to a person. No. <laughs> it feels okay to yeah. apply it to a jug, not to a child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but do you yeah. think it could also be saying like, you know, some people when their partner dies, they're like, love has died, you know? They go to that sort of extreme. Do you think it's also a bit of that? Oh part? yeah, like, yeah, like if you get like someone who's young and they get dumped and they're like, "I'm never gonna love again." Yeah, that's the death of love, not the death of. That the is person. someone you could sit down and say, "Well, what is love?" You know, like, <laughs> can you find it somewhere else? Like, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. okay, all right. But it's like you know, I don't know if you guys know, but like, uh, you know, in older sort of Greek communities and stuff, and. I don't know if they still do it to this day. I'm sure there'd still be people who would do this to this day. It's like when you're, you know, your your husband dies, the the widow will wear black for the rest of their life. Will never right. remarry, okay. won't love again, and in that way. Um, but um, so maybe there's just a there's a there could have been a different mindset at that time too. I don't know. Good point. Well, I think we move to part four and then we'll we'll finish with part four for tonight um but i just don't want to finish on the wife and child death well, i feel downer. like that's a bit, <laughs> yeah. a bit too much of a yeah, downer. so part four <laughs> part four when you are about to take something in hand remind yourself what manner of thing it is if you are going to bathe put before your mind what happens in the bath Water pouring over some, others being jostled, some reveling, others stealing. And you will set to work more securely if you say to yourself at once, I want to bathe and I want to keep my will in harmony with nature. And so in each thing you do, or in this way, if anything turns up to hinder you in your bathing, you will be ready to say, I did not want only to bathe, but to keep my will in harmony with nature. And I shall not so keep it if I lose my temper at what happens. Um, so again, it's this idea when you take something in hand, remind yourself what manner of thing it is. And it goes into this bath analogy. And I discussed this with my son tonight. Um, and I used the analogy of playing Xbox. So would you like to hear that? Sure. Lay it on me. Okay, so the analogy I had was, um, let's say, uh, son, that you want to play Xbox. So you walk into the lounge room, you turn on the Xbox, you go to play your game, and there's no internet. Right, so that would make you upset and angry and, and make your day yuck. But what he's saying here in this passage is, instead of saying, I'm going to go and play the Xbox, you say... I'm going to go and play the Xbox and I'm going to remain in harmony with nature. And then, mm. and the playing the Xbox is um, priority two and remaining in harmony with nature is priority one. So then when you go to your Xbox and the internet doesn't work, you can still achieve your priority, your, your number one goal by uh, not losing your temper at that and by staying 
in control because you're like well that's outside of my control that the internet's gone down because um, nature has made a tree fall on a telephone line somewhere and uh, I have no internet anymore so that's the nature of the world things go wrong uh, but mm -hmm. I can achieve my priority which is not getting frustrated with that not losing my temper with that so that was the analogy I gave him like to try and explain this idea to him um, how do you think that went you think that's close to the money or what are your thoughts I think you did pretty good with that one um, I had some some similar kind of notes. I must admit, I, I actually had a look at another translation of this because um, just because of some of the the language used in there, and um, it just helped to uh, clarify a little bit a little bit for me. But um, but I think you you nailed that pretty well. Oh, mm. what, what are your thoughts there, Ruben? Uh, yeah, I'd go with that. I, I sort of read this one. I glossed over this one. I didn't, I didn't give it too much thought. I think that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something's yeah, gone horribly it's... wrong. If I've nailed it first try, something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. We just had a massive lag spike for those watching and slash listening. Just going to pause for a moment and we're back after a little technical difficulty so i was just saying something must have gone horribly wrong if we got that right the first time and then this thing crashed <laughs> <laughs> so it did go horribly wrong um anyway so yes um i, I think that one's nailed and yeah. uh the next one is too big to get into when we're this far into the show so i think we wrap it up there for this week and um, we can come back to part five next week. So, um, oh, I think we're having latency issues again. Well, it's it's no it's no, yep, it's no republic. But um, we aim for ten, and we only get five. So uh, true to form. We've been here before. <laughs> true to form. I think we actually got through four. We're up to five, but so. But yeah, we did right. have a really good introduction at the beginning, so I think we should be able to um, get a little bit more done next week. But who knows? Who yep. knows? All right. Um, well, I, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. And uh, for those listening, the Republic wasn't built in a day and neither middle-aged men. And uh, this book is looking good. So thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. See ya. There you go.